Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We are here with Sean Grover. He is the author of When Kids Call the Shots, How to Seize Control from Your Darling Bully and Enjoy Being a Parent Again. Sean is a psychotherapist with over 23 years experience working with adults and children, and he actually has one of the largest group therapy practices in the country. He has been quoted all over the place, the New York Times, New York Magazine, Newsweek, NPR. He was on the Today Show recently. He's all over the place. You can check him out at seangrover.com. Really, really interested to talk to Sean today about what he's discovered in his practice working with parents and children and how he has broken down some categories of parent and teen dynamics, looking at why your teenager might be defiant and bullying you and what you can do as a parent to put an end to it. Really excited to jump into these topics. So I loved the book, and I think that a lot of parents come to us with problems, um, you know, defiance and rebellion, and like, hey, wow, I'm hitting the teenage years, and all of a sudden, I can't control my kid anymore. Right, what, right. What do I do? And so you provide a really cool framework in here for kind of how to identify what's going on, because as you point out, it's not always the same kind of root of the problem. That's right. And I think that's really cool. So I'd love to talk about kind of how you developed this method, first of all, and where you kind of came up with all this stuff, and then what inspired you to codify it all and write this book. Okay, well, the book is built firmly on the foundation of all my parenting failures. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good place to start. It's a good place to start. As a therapist who works with children and teenagers, and I've done this over 20 years, my main difficulty with parenting books when I was struggling as a parent is that I felt the books were written for someone else. Uh, So Mm. I would try to say things they had in the book. I would try to emulate the kind of dialogues and the recommendations, and it just didn't fit. And this very interesting wave depression came over me that everyone knew how to do this better than me. The books were so clear and, and so full of success stories and I would try the same thing and just fail brutally over and over and over again. And I think this is when my uh, children were smaller, around five years old. They're teenagers now. But it was a real eye-opening experience for me because I had been this parenting expert. I had spent a lot of time speaking to large groups of parents and writing articles for parents and doing my best to inspire parents. But when I became a parent, I slipped down this dark, dark hole. I just didn't know what to do. Mm. So at some point, I began to recognize that this had more to do with my history. It had to do with how I was parented. It had to do with my experiences. Ah. And that was the key. If I could get a grasp on that, I, I could make different choices. And I realized the books really didn't take into account how you were parented, 
the choices your parents made, your relationship with your spouse. They, they gave you these checklists and solutions, but there was a real emotional component that I was struggling with that uh, I felt wasn't being addressed. So when I started to work on this book, after several nervous breakdowns as a parent, I began to really see that without understanding myself better, there was no way I can understand my children or make choices that were in their interest because I was flying in the dark. I see. So, okay, yeah, because you tell the story in here about your daughter and kind of how you're kind of losing it a little bit. And then there's a really cool thing that happens, which is you decide to start eating breakfast with her a few times a week. That's right. That's the... uh... The pancake solution. The pancake solution. So why did the pancake solution work? And can you explain what it is? Well, I went to see, you know, a therapist. Therapy has this very strong component of sort of mentorship. So I uh, therapists have supervisors and their supervisors have supervisors and therapists have therapists and their therapists have therapists. So we tend to turn to each other when we're in a bind. And I had gone to uh. see one of the elder, most respected therapist and uh, paid a ton of money for one session. And he basically told me to stop talking and start listening. Mm. Take your daughter out to breakfast once a week, maybe twice, and put all your energy into listening. You're not going to give advice. You're not going to tell stories about yourself. You're not going to be funny. You're just going (laughs) to be present with her and responsive. And when I walked out of his office, I thought, that's just ridiculous. What a scam. How could that possibly? Right. I just paid 500 bucks for that. <laughs> right. right, right. I was like, going to go cancel that check. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm i a good soldier and he's a, a smart guy. So I we'll said, give it a oh, shot. I'll do this. But the the interesting part is the minute I told my daughter that Saturday mornings it was I was going to go to breakfast with yeah. her, she got so excited. It was shocking to me. Uh, She got her favorite doll. She told her mom, I'm going to breakfast with daddy. And she did a little dance. And then it started to happen. She started talking more and more and more. And she started telling me about things at school and about her friends. Mm. And I sat on every impulse to interrupt her, to correct her, to maybe be a little critical or give some unrequested advice. And it really, that was a turning point for our relationship. My daughter is today 18 years old. And I think those breakfasts establish a foundation for our communication that still stands strong today. So do you still have the the weekly Saturday breakfasts as part of your routine? Not necessarily, but we do have our nights out or we do make time to get together. and, And I try to give myself those same orders. I can be really stubborn. I like to talk. But mm, it's not so helpful. Even, you know, teenagers are a lot like two-year-olds. You can't, <laughs> they don't really want to hear what you got to say. Right. Listening was far more effective than any other intervention I had. And why do you think that was? What was it that you were able to do on those Saturday mornings that you were not able to do other times? Well, uh, parenting is really like a chaotic crisis. (laughs) So there's always something that needs to be done. Someone got sick or the dog needs to be walked or something was spilled and laundry has got to be put in the dryer. So in the chaos of our daily lives, uh, 
I really wasn't giving my full attention to my daughter. I wasn't really stopping everything and reminding myself what really matters. Because if your relationship with your kid is in good shape, everything flows from that. If your relationship with your child is in bad shape, everything flows from that. So I really discovered that that was really the key to the beginning of a different way of parenting for me. That's so interesting. So chapter five of your book is about your parenting style. It kind of helps readers to figure out if they are falling into one of these three parenting styles that actually promote bullying behavior. It's like if you recognize one of these three things in yourself, then correcting this might make this defiant behavior from your teenager kind of evaporate or dissipate a little bit. And you have three of them in here. It's the guilty parent, the anxious parent, and the fix everything parent. And I just thought these were so enlightening to read. And I wonder if we could talk a little bit about the three different ones and which one were you that the breakfasts fixed or were you kind of not one of these? Oh, I was every one of them. You were kind of a combination. <laughs> oh, yes. It'd be much easier if everyone fit into one category, but I find that we, ah, we have dominant features. We, we lean see. towards one, but we but really people are much more complicated. But I definitely had, I definitely felt I had every bit of the anxious parent, the guilty parent, and the fix everything parent in me. So it's not that you're going to read this and say, oh, I need to figure out which one I am. It's that you are going to kind of figure out which ones are stronger in you, or if one is stronger in you, and then this is going to help you to put together a plan to fix it, or, or what should your goal be in kind of reading about these three archetypes? Well, I ask a lot of questions. For each subtype, you know, if you tend to blame yourself for your kid's problem, do you beat yourself up when you make a parenting mistake? Are you negatively comparing yourself with other parents? Those are the qualities of a guilty parent. Mm. All all these parents are great parents. They're uh, they're dedicated. They're loving. They're hardworking. They're trying so hard, right? They're yeah, trying yeah. so hard. They really want to do this right. Please yeah. let me get this right. You know, they want to. Many times they want to undo their own childhood. They have a, maybe they had a tyrant parent, or maybe they had a Mm. parent that didn't listen well, or a parent that really frightened them. So they determined when they were younger, you know, I'm never going to be like that. But as a result, they wind up doing too much and being more of a friend than a parent. And children without strong leadership really begin to come apart. They really, they need a strong parent to lead them. So if the parent's trying to please them too much or rewarding them too much or tending to their own guilty feelings or their own anxiety or their own need to have everything perfectly in place, a child's going to get very angry about that. And then there's also an element that you point out where the child kind of picks up on the fact that you're feeling guilty and they realize that if they kind of push that button a little bit, then it will help them to get what they want. I think a lot of parenting is that you know, whatever behaviors we inadvertently reward our kids for, they're going to continue to do. And so this book really struck me as that principle in action where it's like kids are kind of just little experimenters, I think, and they just try stuff. And when they find something that works, they keep doing it. It's not necessarily malicious. It's that they made a comment, you know, one time that made you feel bad about yourself and it worked and they got what they wanted. And, and, they maybe start to realize that, hey, there's kind of some guilt there in my parent. And if I push that button a little bit, it helps me. 
Oh, absolutely. They can sense if a parent has, let's say, if something's gone wrong, especially like if there's a divorce or uh, one of the siblings is sick or or uh, there's a financial hardship that's affecting the whole family, they can see the parent really feeling bad about that. And they begin to sense like, hey, I can use this to get what I want. You know, my right. favorite story was a young man I work with who um, his mother was supposed to come. I think it was she was supposed to go to his recital and then she got the days mixed up. Uh. She missed the recital. So anyway, he, he saw this as a golden opportunity. You know, he really said, how much could he milk this? And I remember I was in therapy with him. He was in his session. And um, I said to him, you know, Derek, come on. Your mother, it's the first time she's ever missed anything. Go easy on her. He said, no, no way. I said, why not? And he said, well, I think if I can keep this up, I'll get a new laptop. Ah. So he knew. He knew how to manipulate the situation. Isn't that interesting? How can you tell if you're doing this guilty parent thing? The guilty parent, there's this feeling of shame. There's this feeling of disappointment that you've let your kid down. There's this feeling that you're not doing enough, that you should be doing more. There's this feeling parents want to do workshops will... uh, stand up and be embarrassed that maybe their kids share a bedroom and is that going to doom them? They have all these feelings of dread. Like I've I've really screwed this up. Or inadequacy or something. Yeah. Interesting. But if we really look at that attitude, that predates parenthood. That goes back to somehow in their past where they felt they weren't enough or they had failed in some way. And they're just carrying that into their, their role as a parent. It really has nothing to do with their child. And I've said to parents in workshops, you know, I've seen kids who had entire floors of a house to themselves, who had unlimited resources that were absolute monsters. Right. And I've seen kids who who shared bedrooms with three or four siblings who were doing great in school and got scholarships and really amazing children. So sure. it's really the quality of the parenting, not the bank account, that determines the quality of the child and and understanding our own attitudes and our own life tendencies. If a guilty parent bends towards depression, guilty parent may bend towards self-attack. A guilty parent may surrender their leadership to other people very quickly. They may not get treated very well by their friends. You know, this is more of a characterological trait. And that for me in writing the book was really what I was shooting for to get a greater level of self-understanding leads to a greater ability to parent effectively. Yeah, and uh, so you kind of write that the idea is to figure out the real source of the guilt and kind of identify maybe something in your past or how how your parents might have contributed to these feelings. And then how do you, like, break the cycle? Well, once you you identify, like, where your your vulnerable spots are, uh, and once you get to work on them in the book, I mentioned, uh, you know, I have people journaling, I have them writing down realizations they have during the day. I have them writing about what their parents did right, what their parents did wrong, what they're trying to do better. I really want to bring a mindfulness and an awareness to their parenting choices rather than just saying, hey, don't do that, do this. You know, for me, that wasn't so helpful. So uh, 
once they realize, and I'll say to parents, you know, we'll set up structures around bedtime and chores and things like that. But the amazing thing, the guilty parent may look at structures as punishment. Oh, I'm sorry we have to do this to you. Or like, huh? Like you're imposing it. You're imposing it on them, you mean? They feel bad. They feel that, yeah, I'm forcing you to do this. It's, I don't want to do it. They feel guilty about imposing structure. Right, right. But parents always find when they tighten up and, and start to hold the boundary, their kid's anxiety goes down. There may be a little bump in disruptive behavior, but very quickly that starts to go down. Because kids without structure limits and boundaries get very, very anxious and have trouble containing themselves. So when a parent steps in and provides those, pushes aside their guilty feelings and overcomes them, knowing that this is in the better interest of my child, the child actually gets better. I've worked with parents where I've never seen their children and they've gotten better as quick or quicker than the kids I've seen in therapy where the parents just drop off the kid and I call it dry cleaning therapy. They straighten them out and send them back to me. me. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. The second one that you talk about is the anxious parent and it's similar, but it's different than the guilty parent. It's more about, you know, anxiety, panic during conflicts, dread of rejection from your kid, clinging to your child for discomfort, and uh, would you rather be a friend than a parent to your kid? So what distinguishes the anxious parenting type uh, from the guilty, and, and what would you do differently? Well, the, the anxious parent sees disaster around every mm. corner, it is always full of cautionary tales, has a history of anxiety, they worry, worry, worry. Okay, okay. so the, the guilty parent is like, I feel bad about things that I did before, and the anxious parent is like, I'm worried about things that might happen in the future. Is that the difference? Yeah, well, the world is full of danger. My, my mother was a, when I was younger, was an anxious parent. Oh my, she, to this day, she will tell you horrifying tales. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you, you drive past a train track and it's like, wow, look at the train. She, yeah, three kids were killed last week. And then she's just full of like, Right, right. Warnings. So as a child, there's two two reactions could happen. The child follows the parent and develops a lot of anxiety because anxiety mm. is contagious. It just jumps from person to person. Or the child, all this anxiety is is overwhelming them and it's it's irritating them and why don't you, and they feel you don't believe in me, you don't think I'm capable, you think I'm gonna go out and do these dumb things. And so they start to push back against it, and then you get this this bickering between the parent and the child where the parent is trying to convince the child that uh, the world is a dangerous place and they have to be super careful. And the child's getting robbed of all the joys of exploring and discovering. Mm. Yeah, I think there's this really kind of pernicious effect where, and you write about this, where the confidence of the kid can be really damaged, you know, because... It feels like mom doesn't trust me if mom is always like so worried that, uh, you know, something's going to go wrong or it's not going to go well. It's like, well, then don't you think that I can handle it on myself if something doesn't go well? Like, don't you trust that, you know, I'm prepared? One of the things that you kind of had later in the book that I thought was cool is you talk about transitions and how, you know, sometimes for your kids' sake, it helps to help them develop a plan when transitions are coming up and like coming up with things that might go wrong and then having them kind of like brainstorm possible solutions to that. And you write about it in terms of 
you know, making the kids' anxiety better. But I also was wondering if, if as a parent, doing something like that with your kid might also help kind of alleviate your anxiety or make you, you know, able to trust them more if you've kind of gone through some of these hypothetical situations and feel like they can handle it. I'm a big believer in, in sort of family meetings yeah. where things are sort of hashed out. Hey, let's think about this. What might you do if this kind of thing happened or how would you kind of start that? That's really, we're, we're consulting with our kids at that point. You always want to approach problems as a family. You don't want to make the problem the kid's problem. Mm. Like, this, you have this problem and we're going to talk about your problem. No, no, no. There's a family. We have a culture as a family. As a family, we're moving through things together. So if someone's moved and they're changed homes and they're changing schools, then we're going to, we're, we may express uh, that we're also worried about our new job or the new neighborhood what can we do for ourselves that would help what do you think so you collaborate with the child so the child begins to come up with solutions every time a child comes up with solutions they strengthen their sense of self every time you give them a solution you increase dependency they don't want to be dependent on you increases resistance and then aggression comes out so you engaging a child in problem solving is is a wonderful gift to them and also the child can get to see that they can they can affect change in the family. A little child can make a choice that affects everyone. Ah, hey, that's a good idea, right? Let's 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 implement that. Yeah, that's so good for self-esteem and self-efficacy and it just helps develop those metacognitive skills like then when your kid gets into these situations, he's prepared. Sean, I feel like we could just talk for hours about this. I mean, there's so much great stuff in this book. It's jam-packed, and I feel like we've only scratched the surface of it. I hope that people will pick up a copy, especially if you have a teenager and you're struggling with a little bit of defiance. And the strategies in this book are deeper than a lot of the stuff I see in typical parenting books where it's just like, oh, hey, say this or do this. This book is really about getting deep and and thinking about yourself as a parent and how you want to be and maybe what has happened in your past that has led you to be parenting the way you are today and how you can push past that to become a stronger parent for yourself and for your teenager. Well, Andy, thank you so much for having me on the show. And I'm just always thrilled and delighted when I get these calls. I think parenting is finally getting the respect and the attention that it deserves. So these kind of podcasts are talking about parenting and digging deep into the parenting experiences. This is really how we change the world. Mm. These are the people we're sending out into the world. So I really admire you for taking the time and dedicating so much of your energy to what I feel is probably one of the important roles we have today, which is being someone's parent. Mm. Well, the respect is mutual. Thank you so much for all your work and for writing this incredible book. We're here with Sean Grover talking about his book, When Kids Call the Shots. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Every phase of child development is driven by frustration. The child confronts frustration, learning to walk, learning to eat with a spoon. Uh, it's frustrating. As they confront that frustration, wrestle with it, and resolve it, there's always a burst of maturity. 
Shame is one of the most damaging feelings a parent can induce in a child. Mm. If you get them feeling ashamed and guilty, and that's your primary tool in trying to affect change, you're going to have a very, very angry child on your hands. I can remember when I was uh, first married before I had kids, I was going to cook this big meal for my wife. She was in grad school and I was going to do a stir fry. I was going to surprise her. She was studying in the other room. <laughs> and I heated up the, the wok. Of course, I didn't know what I was doing, but I thought I could do everything. So they why couldn't it. I do this? And so I throw, the, I throw it in and, and right away, I have the vegetables in it. It gets so hot, like overwhelmingly hot. And I think, oh my God. This is this is unbelievable oil. This is too much. I gotta cool the, I gotta cool this down. So I took out a bottle of water from the refrigerator oh, no. and dumped it in the pot. Right. So of course I now have this exploding grease fire. You know, just and I and you know what I said? This is what I said. I said, "Oh my God, what's wrong with this pot?" <laughs> you know. So as a parent. We will see our kids acting in some way. My God, what's wrong with this kid? We don't even take a moment to stand back and be like, huh, this child's a product of my environment, product of my choices, product of the culture of our family. I need to really consider doing things differently. And I think discovering who your child is and being in a state of wonder of like how they're growing or what they're doing is a much healthier state than deciding who they are or uh, planning a future mm. for them before you really you you have to get to know your child yeah. you know for me i've gotten to a point as a parent where my first impulse is not usually the good impulse ah. i really have to i have the impulse and then i'm like oh let me think about this for a second and i'll usually go a different direction Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.